I see your face in every flame. This no answers. I will never serve to live. I want to remember that I'm born. Tabitha. Welcome to another edition of White Wellness. Today, the winter solstice, December 21, 2022. Broadcasting out of New York for White Wellness Radio. That song right there, Typo Negative, Blood and Fire, way back in 1993. So yeah, this is today's show. Uh, first live show and gee whiz, it's been some time. I think it's been two months almost since I did the Cult of Neoteny show and then did a bunch of clips and then did that show with Molly last week. If you haven't checked that one out, uh, please do. Great uh, Yule show right there. And today we're going to be continuing the uh, the festive Yule flavor by doing a show today that's going to be part solstice, but part, um, I don't want to say current events because I really don't like covering that type of stuff, part solstice, part... Um, just modern life. Let's call it that, modern life. And the reason I called it the Tabby Yuga, which is my Instagroid name for any people who follow me on uh, Instagroid, the reason I called it that was because the word Yuga, of course, means age in Sanskrit. Like, you know, you've got the Satya Yuga, you've got the Kali Yuga, which we're in right now. And the word Tabby, of course, is a little nickname for Tabitha. But in the, in the Japanese language, Tabby means journey, believe it or not. So, the Tabi Yuga is the age of the journey. And I like to see it kind of as this liminal space between the Kali Yuga, which we're definitely still surfing. That's a 100%. You can just see some of the, the things you look at when you open up the newspaper or scroll your mobile device, the types of things that are happening in this world, definitely very much still in the Kali Yuga. And then we're transitioning into the Satcha Yuga, which is the golden age. But I like to think of this liminal kind of transitional time right now. What a time to be alive, by the way. If you're alive right now and listening to this, wow, I'm thankful for being alive right now. I like to consider this time to be the time of the journey, right? The time of the voyage, travel, the time of becoming better, optimizing, arianizing, if you will. So that's why I named it the Tabi Tabi Yuga, not just because it's one of my names, but also because I consider this liminal time between the Kali and the Satcha to be an age of a journey. And many people, of course, probably people you know IRL, probably people you know online, 
they're falling into all of the dye versions that Big Z puts out there. There's never a lack of dye version. And that takes us away from this Tabi Yuga, this age of journey, this age of travel, of voyage. And it makes me think of something that Terence McKenna said many a times. And I think it's more true now than it ever has been. And of course, he's been dead for about 20 years, but he has said many a time that the only thing that's really real is your experience, your felt presence in the body, what you know to be true, right? What that tasted like, you know, what that felt like, what that smelt like. That's really the only thing that is real. Even when we see all these headlines sometimes, I have to ask myself, is this really real? Are they promoting this to create the idea of something being real? Then I think back to people who were living during World War II, during the Holohoks, what did they believe? Even if they knew something was happening that was nefarious, what did they believe based on all the propaganda? And nowadays we have the advent of even more propaganda because things come out quicker and we have the internet and all this technology. So I think that this age that we're in right now, and I can't say exactly when it began and when it's going to end, but it's a liminal time to be alive. And it's the age of the journey. And that means that we should embrace our felt experience our travels, our journeys, our voyages, because you really cannot find a substitute for that anywhere, whether it be offline or online. So that's why we're calling it the Tabi Yuga. And that beautiful picture that I picked for today, if you look at it, kind of you can see what looks like the Anahata, the six-pointed star, which erroneously many people still think is a Talmudic symbol. It's not. Uh, it's been usurped, like essentially 99.9% .9 of all of the symbols that they've fleeced, minus the manure or the menorah. That, I believe, is theirs, and they can have it. I don't think any of us want it. Anyway, back to this amazing picture for the broadcast. You can lightly see what looks like an anahata or a six-pointed star. It's got other things going on in there, too. But I really like this star, and I don't like whenever I see it in more of the Talmudic uh, incarnation of like, you see the picture of the swastika, and then you see the anahata, and it's like this war between the two. No, no, those are complementary. The anahata represents the heart chakra, number four, green, usually, sometimes pink. And then the swastika represents the manipura, which is the chakra for willpower, number three, yellow. So they're completely complementary. But I learned something else recently about this anahata chakra, which I thought was really groovy. That word, anahata, actually means in Sanskrit, unstuck. Pretty groovy. Especially when we think about the lower triangle, we have the root, we have the uh, sacral, and we have the solar. That's what we call the me in Kundalini Yoga. And then we have the we, which is the upper triangle, which is the vishuddha, which is the throat chakra, the ajna, which is the third eye, and then the crown chakra, which is the top of the head. And then we have the anahata in the middle, which is this bridge from me to we. It's almost like a mini bifrost bridge within the body. And the lower triangle is Midgard and the upper triangle is Asgard. But in order to get to Asgard, to get to that upper triangle, we have to get unstuck, right? We have to vibrate that anahata energy. So if we're really going to take it being seriously being alive right now, we would want to be in a journey, in movement, to be unstuck. And there's so many things out there that try to get us stuck. Diversions get us stuck. Diet snares get us stuck. Uh, 
low quality ideologies get us stuck. So this show is about not just getting unstuck, enjoying the solstice, but how can we create more motion in our lives and become more aware of the snares and not react so intensely to the snares? So the word of the week, like we like to do, is a very groovy word. The word's cosmic, actually. I love this word. I've been loving this word for a long time. Kind of a word I like to use a little bit back and forth with the word groovy. I like to say, that's cosmic, that's groovy. The word cosmic, the 1640s is when it goes back to, worldly or of this world, like the cosmos, right? It's now obsolete in that regard from the Latinized form of the Greek cosmikos with a K, worldly, earthly, of this world, from the cosmos, the world order, or the world. And of course, we've heard this Zao Sludge phrase thrown about for the last, I don't know, 20 years, the new world order, right? So maybe if we embrace our cosmic nature, whilst we're alive during the Tabi Yuga, we can have a more sense of being worldly. We can root in because all these diversions keep people floating around, becoming almost like ethereal. And I think oftentimes these new age or neutered age belief systems want to fool us into thinking that this is the way to be. It's just love and light. I don't want to think about anything that's terribly negative. And yeah, we don't want to dwell on the negative stuff because that can definitely be a diversion and a depression. But there has to be a balance of everything. And as long as we're of this world, we have to balance the esoteric with the exoteric as opposed to falling, you know, into one of those too deeply, right? So that's the word this week is cosmic. And I love this word because um, I do, but I also love it because I have a new, a new pet and the pet's name is Cosmo, Cosmo Joy, actually. A girl, because Cosmo is actually like a female word, unlike what we've been... Probably many of you know the pop culture reference of the Kramer character in the Seinfeld comedy, whose name was Cosmo Kramer. Of course, he's male. But when we talk about the world or the earth, it always has more of that female flavor, just like how ships would always be given female names, right? Typically storms, not always. So yes, I love this word because I used it recently to name a new friend, a new cat friend. The cat's name is Cosmo Joy. And another cat friend has a different name, Faunus, Little Feather, Faunus after the the Greek god Pan or El Fauno, as they'd say in Spanish. So a little bit right there. So yeah, happy solstice, everyone. I hope everyone's doing amazing and has something groovy planned for this solstice. I think I'm going to be fixing bison chili tonight. Um, I don't know if that's like traditional meals that our ancestors ate, but whatever. I'm loving it. And I also think about yesterday and the whole idea of it being Mother's Night and when we're going into this winter phase, this is the phase of the crone, especially like when I've talked about on many broadcasts before, talking about how the phases of the seasons go in line with the lady's life, almost like it's like a clock and how oftentimes back in the day, the woman was the original clock because of our menstrual cycle. I think it's kind of bizarre that a lot of people fetishize a baby Jesus around this time of year when this is really the time of the mother or even the crone, because the winter is the crone time, right? It's the leaves are falling off the trees. It's cold. It's quiet. There's wisdom, right? It's very much a time that gives the idea of a female archetype, a wizened, a sage-like individual, if you will. And the inverse of that would be a young male child. Not that there's anything wrong with one sex or the other. This isn't like a contest or anything. But it's very interesting how the Talmudic overculture 
promotes this, almost fetishizes this idea of this baby JC when it's really the time of the crone, which is the opposite of that. And I think this is a further, or an ancient rather, usurping of um, women's power, right? And we've been seeing this a lot. I know there are still some people in the so-called movement, I don't know if that word should have quotes around it or triple parentheses at this point, probably triple parentheses, but there are still some people who don't understand how a lot of this is working. Maybe these shows, this show and some of the other ones I have planned for the winter will kind of shed some light on this because it's a serious problem and it's even a more serious problem that so many of us are aware of the racial differences. We understand the world's foremost problem. We understand that there are different races or species and that we all didn't come out of Africa, yet some of us still can't understand there's difference between the sexes. And then we claim to be against things like transsexualism. So it's it's kind of a mind zoggler when you think about it. But nevertheless, I think that this show will do justice to kind of, you know, clear the air with those things. So I want to talk a little bit more about the solstice and just what it means and maybe some rituals that you want to partake in as you, you know, just go into this, right? So solstice and eclipses are energetic upgrades for the planet and for you individually as a human. They're cosmic portals to higher heart-centered consciousness. So going back, what I said about the Anahata Chakra and being unstuck in Sanskrit, being the bridge from me to we, this is a very groovy cosmic time, these solstices and equinoxes and eclipses that we have. I hope everyone's doing some type of yoga practice today to kind of harness the energy of the solstice. I did a pituitary gland um, kriya this morning, which was really great. And something else I wanted to say about um, the solstice, oh, something that Molly actually was mentioning to me, we're always told that Samhain or Halloween is kind of this time when the veil is really thin between the ancestors. And yeah, that's that's totally true. But I think that actually this time, and she said this too, and I was like, you know what, that really makes sense. I think that this time, the veil is actually thinner between the spirit world, between the time, or between the, you know, the liminal liminal space between our ancestors, whether they be humans or even maybe some um, animal friends that have gone on and um, now than it is for the Samhain time. So I think that the Yule time is probably one of the most mystical, magical times of the year because it's so dark. The darkness almost like forces us to stop, right? When we have the Samhain, it's more of a harvest. It's not necessarily as dark as it could be, but this is the shortest day of the year. So it's going to be really, really dark. So I think if anything, that's a really good time to kind of maybe think about the ancestors, to reflect on the ancestors, and also to think about what you want to do for the next year. It doesn't have to necessarily be in the form of a resolution and, you know, going to the gym on January 2nd, or those are good things, of course, but maybe it's going to be a deeper, more racial or ancestral type of thing. So here's a little bit about how one person celebrates the solstice. I found this whilst I was perusing the internet. And it says, a friend of mine told me recently she celebrates the new year in three stages. At the solstice, she acknowledges the collective spiritual beginning of the new year. And this kind of is the new year in many ways. Just because we have this Zausludge calendar doesn't mean that we have to celebrate when we celebrate. And as I've gone on in my years and become more acclimated to this information, this racial information, New Year's Eve seems like less of a beginning than, than this time of year, you know, a, a week or two earlier really does. Maybe you feel that way as well. 
So as the solstice, this human acknowledges the collective spiritual beginning of the new year. Then on January 1, she marks the start of a new cycle of work and finance. Well, that kind of makes sense from a financial perspective, maybe on a spiritual perspective. And on the first new moon in January, she finally drops into her personal new beginning, including setting her intentions and goals for the coming year. I love the concept of such a gradual entrance into the new year. It feels like easing into a body of water, taking your time to acclimate to the waves until you are ready to swim. And yeah, isn't that nice as opposed to what we have now? It's like, you know, you've got to do Christmas and then you've got to do New Year's Eve and then you've got to drink, drink a ton and get really shitty and then you've got to go to the gym the next day. It's like, whoa, slow down, right? And let's not forget all the Black Friday, like, pandemonium and all that sludge, right? I don't know if that's a really big thing in other countries, but here in America, it's like, it's a big thing. I think some people who are like really young possibly even think it's like a legit holiday. I mean, I'm, I'm been alive long enough on this planet that I um, remember when Black Friday wasn't a thing. I'm sure some of you listening as well do too. So yeah, I like this easeful feeling, right? We have this culture where it's just like everything's coming at you super quick. It ends up almost being too young, too masculine in a way that doesn't even serve men. It certainly doesn't serve women, but it doesn't serve men either to live at that almost like hyper state where we have to just basically it's a finish line to get through all these like holidays and then we're like totally exhausted. Like how about we savor it like a piece of chocolate as opposed to like wolfing it down. Doesn't that make a lot more sense? I sure think so. So the winter solstice, when is it and what is it? And this is a little bit from the farmer's almanac, still a pretty good source with all the crazy crap going on in this world, the Oyid, the LGBTP, Q, Zoo Plus, who even knows now, um, all the stuff with, you know, the anti-white and the promotion and veneration of black criminals. Farmer's Almanac is still pretty legit. Thankfully, there's a couple of websites out there that are just normal. So the solstice time, exactly when it becomes winter, if you're in um, the Eastern Standard Time, like I am here, it would be 4.48 p.m., is when the Northern Hemisphere will be having it become winter. So this is the December solstice. And it's an astronomical moment when the sun reaches the Tropic of Capricorn. And we have the shortest day and the longest night of the year in the Northern Hemisphere in terms of daylight. Regardless of what the weather is doing outside your window, the solstice marks the official start of winter. So for some people, I believe like those down under in Australia, this is their summertime. But for us in the north, it's definitely winter. So what does that word solstice mean? It comes from the Latin words sol, sun, and sistery, to stand up. Because during the solstice, the angle between the sun's rays and the plane of the Earth's equator called the declination appears to stand still. Right? And this is a time where it's considered to be a rebirth for a lot of cultures. And of course, very much in the Aryan cultures, because... This is really our season. I know Christmas has become very much a cultural thing and a lot of people participate in it regardless of, of you know, race and um, religious belief. And, and that's fine, you know, if you want to enjoy that. I know Christmas is a magical time for all humans, especially tiny humans. But the roots of Christmas or Yule, just like the roots of Samhain or Halloween and even Ostar or Easter are purely Aryan. It's crazy how they had this culture where, you know, the white race is, is vilified for everything 
that they can vilify us for, whether it's true or not, it's usually not true. And then they like to usurp all the holidays while they howl that we're culturally appropriating stuff. It's, it's uh, that cries out in pain while he strikes you, quote, comes to mind. I think that was a Polish proverb, very wise. So many people know that um, Stonehenge, people sometimes gather there on the winter solstice to take a um, look at what's going also on the summer solstice as well. Some historians believe that Stonehenge in England, of course, was erected to keep track of the sun's yearly progress. Highly possible. I think a lot of these structures of yore could have been doing something like that before we had our, you know, classical calendar that we utilize nowadays. So let's see a little bit more. Of course, we have Yule, which is originally spelled J-U-U-L. We spell it, you know, Yule. That's more, I guess, an Anglicanized um, spelling of it. But the Scandinavian spelling is Yule, Y-U-U-L. And of course, a log was brought in. It was burned on the hearth to honor the Scandinavian god Thor. And the sun was, um, and it was Thor's job to bring the sun's warmth back to people. So pretty cool how that works. And every, you know, white area has their own little thing that, that they do with, with this. Even in areas like um, in Wales, they have something called Albin Arthon. The Light of Winter is a universal festival that's celebrated by many humans. It's probably the oldest seasonal festival of humankind. In the Druidic traditions, the winter solstice is thought of as a time of death and rebirth when nature's powers are our own and our own souls are renewed so pretty cool there and they even have something in um in china so in addition to all the you know the western cultures they have something in china called dongzi the winter solstice festival when the whole family gets together and celebrates the past good year and as the chinese thought the yang or the muscular positive things will become stronger after this day so it should be celebrated dumplings are usually eaten and yeah this is a very yin time when you think about it from the tcm or the chinese modality darkness coolness that's all yin and then we have you know the sun returning warmth that's all yang so we can see the interpretation in other areas of the world we also had something called Saturnalia in ancient Rome. This was a festival that began on the 17th of December and lasted for seven days. It was to honor Saturnus, the Roman god of agriculture and harvest. And it was characterized by the suspension of discipline and reversal of the usual order. So things like grudges and quarrels were forgiven, wars were postponed, and people engaged in carnival-like festivities. And the popularity of Saturnalia continued into the 3rd and 4th centuries as the Roman Empire came under Christian rule. Some of the festival's customs have influenced the current celebrations surrounding Christmas and New Year. So we can see kind of the ancient, ancient roots of, of this festival or of this harvest time. Not harvest time, this is the winter time. The harvest time was, was Samhain and, and Thanksgiving, I guess, is kind of a feast that is really indicative of the harvest, but it actually comes a little bit later in the time than the harvest really should be. And then, of course, I always remember when I'm thinking about Thanksgiving, chatting with, you know, other other humans online, I, I always kind of forget that they don't celebrate it outside of America. So it's like it's 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 a white thing, Thanksgiving, but it's a very American white thing. So if you're talking to a pal who's from, you know, Europe or Australia, it's not the same as it is for for us. It's it's a big it's a big thing here. 
But of course, with Yule or the summer, the winter solstice or Christmas, we can all have that bond because every every country, even the ones that aren't white, any country pretty much has a Christmas type of thing going on. But of course, it's it's our festival. Let's take a Gandhi at the chat. We've got some humans listening here. Yep, got some things right here. Just a couple of... Uh, and Josh is saying, everyone dwells on the current age or the coming age, but seem to invite the idea there will be some transitional period between each age. I believe that's what we are in our entering like birthing pains. Yeah, I think I think that's the kind of the point that I've been trying to make that, yeah, this is what it is. And we have... Um, we have Country Girl joining us too. Happy Solstice. We have Epiphany. Hello, everybody. Yeah, I think a lot of people are just always like waiting, you know, waiting, waiting, waiting for like, you know, the the part to become, waiting for the apocalypse to begin, you know, waiting for the acceleration to begin, waiting, 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 you know, we're in it, right? It's almost like they're waiting for things to get bad with the transsexual agenda. Uh, it is bad. It's here, like newsflash, right? Waiting for things to get bad with OED AI, waiting for things to get bad with the food supply. Um, it's here. It's been here for a really, really, really long time. It's just incredibly obvious to everybody right now. That's essentially what's going on. So I just wanted to share a little bit more about the solstice from one of my favorite writers or um, Aryan humans, and that would be Yost Turner, probably my favorite NS figure of all time, I would say, is, is Yost Turner. Kind of an enigma. Very little is known about him. He was macrobiotic, so I kind of share that, that with him as well. And I think he really had it right with his idea of destroying the system via non-participation. And I also really appreciate his ideas in regards to Kriya Yoga and a, creating a renaissance of, of the Vedic Aryan yogic ways so I wanted to read a little bit here to go on with this theme of the solstice, a little bit about cosmology and the Yggdrasil, which of course, that is the original tree of life. The Kabbalah and all of that was stolen from the Yggdrasil, just like the seal of Solomon or the star of David is stolen from the Anahata. This is what happens. It's been going on for a long time. I'm not saying it's, it's right. It's just what happens. It also happens on a culinary level. We can think of many dishes all across the world, specifically in Europe and the Middle East, that are indigenous to those areas, and now they're claimed by the group of rootless cosmopolitans as their own. That's not true. They appropriated it. But in the popular culture, for some reason, it only looks like whites are the ones who are capable of appropriating when essentially we have the oldest culture, but everything is usurped and reversed in this zaggy zag world. So a little bit about cosmology and the Yggdrasil from Yost Turner, from a little, little pamphlet I've had for quite some time called The Path of Wotan, Our Spiritual Heritage. Our forefathers allegorically placed all existence in nine worlds, which were protected and sustained by a great tree called the Yggdrasil. Today's Christmas tree is merely a Christian adaptation of the pre-Christian Yule tree which was traditionally brought in from the forest, decorated and adorned our forefathers' homes during the celebration of Yule. That tree, that Yule tree of old, symbolized the Yggdrasil. The allegory of the Yggdrasil is a, the key to a complete understanding of all the allegories. A tree plucked out of the ground and turned upside down is a perfect symbol of the human nervous system. 
The trunk represents the spinal column. The branches represent the afferent and efferent nerves, and the roots represent the brain. The greater development of the human nervous system is what gives us higher awareness and intelligence and a clear separation from animals. In the allegories, the first man and woman came from trees, which symbolizes evolution to the human state through a more highly developed nervous system. Our forefathers understood the significance of human nervous system to higher evolution, not only from animal to human, but from human to superhuman. So here we are in the Tabi Yuga, this liminal time between the Kali and the Satya. So maybe this is the time when we can go from human to superhuman to get ourselves ready for the Satya Yuga. We might not be in this skin right now, but when we come back, we, we can come back in a different form, you know? At the very top of Yggdrasil sits an eagle with a hawk perched between its eyes. A squirrel, Rathasok, runs up and down the Yggdrasil's tree carrying insults between Nidhug, the serpent, serpent gnawing at the root, and the eagle at the top. The eagle at the top symbolizes the intuitive faculties of the superconscious. The hawk, perched between the eyes, symbolizes the all-seeing eye of intuition, which is located at the point between the eyebrows, and that would, of course, be the Ajna Chakra in the, the Vedic system, right? The Nidhogh symbolizes the primordial life energy stored at the base of the spine, the Kundalini essence, which activates the senses, drawing the consciousness away from higher awareness. The squirrel represents the life energy traveling up and down the spine. The insults indicate a conflict between the demands of the senses and the aspirations to higher awareness. Pretty interesting right there. That was just a little bit from this uh, path of Wotan, but think of the Yggdrasil. Think of it upside down. It was really groovy. Thinking about it upside down, the trunk is the spinal column, the branches are the nerves, the root is the brain. I mean, it's very different than the tree now. And, and back in the day, we used to have the trees outside only and we bring the yule log in right and now we have the tree comes inside and we put lights on it and we decorate it and we put the presents underneath so that's that's very different but back in the day it was it was outside and i think at some point people ended up cutting down the tree themselves and then bringing it inside so it has had many iterations throughout the time but but know that all of this is purely of your heritage of your race of, of your culture and like i said it's become a very cultural thing now i mean even for the holidays i mean i don't call myself a christian but i i celebrate the cultural christian aspect of christmas if you will i'm sure many of you listening do and that's that's totally fine that's jim dandy but it's nice to know these stories right and to know the roots of where things are and it seems like a lot of Exians don't really have anything to do in regards to the solstice for them it might just be a day where it's dark out a little earlier but uh, it's nice to remember all of these things as we as we go through and understand that this is ours, right? I think when you can kind of reach out and feel something, if you literally can't touch it because it's ancient, but if you actually know that there's something out there that makes you feel like you're close to your roots, because sometimes I'll hear people say, especially those of the younger set, that they feel they have no culture, right? And yeah, of course, there's no culture. Look, look at the quote culture that's out here. I mean, would anyone want anything to do with it? I, I wouldn't. I mean, it's a bunch of absolute sludge, total Zio sludge and Zog crud. And that's true for everybody, I would say, for all races. The, the culture, the overculture, especially here in America, is 
is, is crap, right? But especially for us, because there's so much of this vitriol just kind of woven in. And it's weird sometimes to watch a film from maybe even 10 years ago and see that it still seems somewhat normative. They're not promoting all this, you know, this anti-white vitriol, that the transsexualism stuff really isn't there. And also something too I've noticed when I watch a movie that's a bit older, people's faces look normal. Now you watch something and everyone's face is plastic or it's like melting or something. It's, oh gosh, it's so bizarre what people are doing to their bodies. Thinking about, you know, the sacredness of the seasons and the sacredness of just being alive and all this really weird stuff that's going on in the world with what people are doing to themselves. And I think a lot of that is an attack on the feminine, which I see as a bigger context of an attack on, on nature, right? Because that's really what it comes down to is an attack, attack on, on nature, unfortunately. So let's just take a, a Gandhi at the chat right here. Josh is taking a dip. Yeah, no worries. Happy solstice. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Epiphany. I'm so tired of porn makeup. Yeah, it's so, ugh. and there's like another theory that I've been hearing floating around for a while that some of the quote women who act, quote act in those quote films are actually men with the vagioplasty, which could make sense considering that they've really promoted that type of uh, yoni or genitals to women like, oh, it's got to be hairless. It's got to be completely tucked, you know, like no labia can be showing, you know, but that really looks like what you would get if you turned, you know, a, a hot dog into a bun essentially. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's just so much out there. Like I wish like that none of us were ever even exposed to pornography. Like it wasn't even a thing that we never even came in contact with because then we have to deal with all the reversal of all this soiling, which is just, ugh, right? Just really kind of what we don't want to do, but that's kind of this, this world. Oftentimes when you live in this world and you're exposed to so many things, you got to do a bit of backpedaling to kind of, you know, take yourself back to a homeostatic state after you've been exposed to all of these things, which can be kind of intense. Um, so yeah, now we're going to switch gears. That was just a bit right there about the solstice and just talking about um, the age that we're in. And I'm, I'm uh, coining it the Tabi Yuga. And then talking about, you know, the chakras and talking about the Yggdrasil. I think we can get the idea of how it all, all works together and how it's so, I don't want to use the word alien because the world we live in is, is quite alien, but it's, it's so different. It's so remarkably different than what we see in the world these days. And I don't really um, talk or socialize with that many people who don't get it at this point in my life. So whenever I hear or happen to converse with someone who doesn't get it, I forget that people don't get it. It's kind of like a weird thing. Maybe some people are actually in the opposite way where a lot of people they do conversate with are completely and totally just Zogbots and then they go online and like, oh, wow, someone actually gets me. Someone actually hears me. But I don't even really do too much conversation with with people who believe uh, the hoaxes because it's it's kind of difficult to even have a conversation, let alone some type of uh, discourse of bouncing off one another when people believe stuff that isn't even real. Like, how could you have a conversation with someone who believes that someone could be assigned a sex at birth? How could you have a conversation with someone who believes there's an invisible enemy wafting through the air? 
how could you have a conversation with someone who thinks that, um, you know, something like the George Floyd case was actually like a real thing. I think that was just a complete and total psyop personally, right? And I think they played that angle up of him being this criminal to kind of fuel the quote right to say all these things. But I think that was just absolute kosher theater. I think most things that we see are kosher theater. Um, I think it's designed to be kosher theater because it can play on our emotions. Remember, if it's, if it's real or not, we're in a post-truth world. Reality is subjective. So if they show us something, whether it's real or not, the reaction that we feel is real. Like I went back saying in the beginning of the show what Terrence McKenna said about the felt presence in the body. That's our only real experience. So that's what's real. The thing that's happening really isn't real. It's like people who think that OID AI is real. They believe it to be real. That's their felt presence in their body. So it's real. So you see them with the costume on. You see them doing the public roboting. You see them talking out in public about, you know, uh, staying staying away from people for a certain amount of time. I actually caught a conversation like that a week or so ago. <laughs> um, someone talking to someone about like doing all the, you know, the kosher disease control, like set steps for Oyed AI. And uh, <laughs> I was with my mate at the time. And we just looked at each other and just started laughing. It was so funny. I mean, it really wasn't funny, but it's just like, how can you really... Um, feel like you have a connection with a lot of people when when this is their belief system when their belief system is like they literally have shit for brains like most people do these days it's, it's horrible it's especially horrible when it's family and I hope it doesn't get in the way of anyone's you know holiday festivals and all of all of that stuff it, it won't be for me I hope that everyone out there is, is not dealing with that but I know in the reality they it is something to an extent but this all comes back to the crown chakra for me and the attack on the feminine. And I wanted to weave this all into this show because we're in this very kind of yin season, right? Actually, we're going into more of a, a yang season eventually with the sun returning, but I figured I can kind of work these all together for this show. And a while ago, I was thinking about doing a show called the Madonna Whore Con, because we have this thing in the culture, especially in the, I wouldn't even call it the Western culture, I'd call it the Talmudic or the patriarchal culture, this Madonna whore complex, right? Where you can't be one or the other. You can't be a mother and you can't be sexual. You've got to either be just for one thing or just for another thing, right? And I think all of this is really a bubbling up. Of course, this goes back a long, 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 long time, but it's indicative of the culture that we have nowadays, which already has separated reproduction from sex in regards to things like IVF and surrogacy. And now their goal is to separate the womb from reproduction. We've probably heard before of, of men getting uterine transplants, which I think this stuff should personally be illegal. If I was chancellor of America, I would make a lot of stuff illegal, not just for fun, but I would make it illegal because it's damaging. So there was something, a video that was surfing or circulating rather on the web last couple of weeks, perhaps some of you saw it, called ectopods. It's kind of, um, how should I say it? I saw this YouTube video, I think it's on Instagram too. And I guess the video is kind of like a prototype, like it's not legitimate real footage, but it's this Talmudic wet dream, this uh, Semitic fantasy, if you will, of growing babies, of what they like to call fetuses, growing babies inside of these pods that will supposedly be superior 
to a baby inside of a woman's body, the normal way that things are supposed to go. And they showed this just creepy, creepy thing. I mean, this, of course, opens up everything for all the transsexual type of stuff that's going on, which honestly, ever since like I knew about this back in the 90s, you know, going to Manhattan quite a bit as a youth, not too much these days anymore, but I saw autogynephilia firsthand when I was like in my like early teens. So I know this stuff goes way, way, way back, but it's just so creepy that now the whole fertility industry is catering to these types of people. And remember, any attack on the feminine and the feminine creative powers to create life and also destroy life is an attack on nature and an attack on, on Aryan people and an attack on any indigenous people who, who live by nature. That's essentially what it is. I mean, do you think anyone in the Amazon, not Amazog, but in the Amazon gives a hoot about an ectopod, IVF, surrogacy, OIDAI, BLM? Absolutely not. They don't even know what it is. They don't even have the qualms that we have here in this culture where automatically we see breasts and we think of sex, right? I mean, that that's created, by the way. That's not like a natural thing. That's created. So we have all these things that have been created here, uh, monster types of things in this society. And it all goes back to being an attack on the feminine. Like I said, if it's an attack on the, fem the feminine, it's an attack on, on nature. And that's by design. That's, that's absolutely by design. That's the, um, the Skeksis agenda to do that because they fear the yin, they fear the feminine, they fear the dark, right? I mean, and then the craziest thing is, like I did this post the other day on the Racial Science channel. That channel's growing quite um, immensely. It's one of my smallest channels, but gets the most amount of views for some reason, maybe because there's very little channels out there that are actually like this. So I wrote this and I showed a picture of that um, Dr. Richard Levine, he uses the name Rachel now. He's the um, Secretary of Health for Pennsylvania. And this all works into the solstice. I know it maybe sounds like an out there type of uh, thing to be talking about the solstice and the Yggdrasil, and now we're talking about autogynephilia, but it all relates to the idea that we need to use this Tabi Yuga, this, this uh, liminal time of journey, to really root into what means something to us and let all the debris and dentritus just fall away, whilst we expose it, obviously. So I posted a picture of this man, autogynephile, and I wrote, I am convinced autogynephilia is a Jewish male fetish based on the angst of circumcision and vitriol for women, especially white women, who they attempt to disguise themselves as while they scam society worse than a worse than a holohoax survivor. And yeah, they do. I mean, you've seen historically what these holohoaxers have gotten, all the reparations from Germans who they've abused, right? Think about think about that. And now we have these autogynephiles which are, you know, going into women's prisons. They're literally attacking women and then the women are being told that they're bigots for, you know, feeling the way they are, feeling the way they felt about, you know, a man in lipstick. I mean, obviously, right? So this is all an attack on the feminine, which is an attack on creative power, which is an attack on nature. This is a big thing. I know not everyone wants to hear about, you know, men in, in fishnets. And yeah, it's, it's disgusting. I mean, it's just, ugh, it's just gross. Not to mention on the other side, what's happening. See, when men do this, it's typically a sexual fetish. When women do it, it's because they've been abused and they're looking to escape 
womanhood, escaping creative power, escaping, yeah, it's escaping the power of being a woman. They probably don't know that at the time because they feel so marginalized by what's happening to them, you know, based on the transgressions they've experienced. But in a way, they're aiding their own attack because they're afraid of their creativity. And these autogynophiles are trying to usurp it. And of course, this fetish is a Jewish fetish because it's based on the angst of circumcision. Now, are there white men who are autogynophiles and circumcised? Yeah, of course, because that terrible thing has kind of permeated through society. I really hope that that's one of the things during this tabi yuga, during this liminal time that we're able to just completely get rid of. There's no reason that that should ever have been a thing. It's only a thing because it's a thing, right? Because it's a way for them to hide. And of course it creates vitriol for women. I think it's one of the ways we create misogyny in this society. And then when we create misogyny, we deal with the attack on the feminine and we also deal on the attack of creative powers. And when women are being attacked, it doesn't just hurt women, it hurts men too. And it hurts us as a unit, right? Any normal man who sees what's going on, who's not like a misogynist and a Tom fool or, or a germ theorist knows what's going on and thinks all of this is, is absolute disgusting Zio sludge, right? Cause that's, that's what it is. But we still don't see a lot of people, especially in the bowel movement talking about this because well, they're, they're obsessed with um, usurping women's power. We see it all the time with these people who think that women are just either breeders or whores, right? You can't be both and you have to talk about them using that type of low level uh, language, which is just, it just shows how most people who still think that they're racial are just stuck in this like Talmudic uh, J box. And then you have these people who are really aware of transsexualism and Oyed AI and Zog's little birth and, you know, the horrors of the, the food supply, but they don't understand anything about being racial. Like, I, I'm looking for people out there who kind of understand both of these things, people who are hyper-racial, but people who also understand what's going on with the feminine, who care about their health, who understand allopathy, who care about home-cooked food, homesteading. Like, where are these people, right? Where are these people who are like matriarchal and racial? That's what I want to know, because it seems like no matter what community I seem to find myself floating in, it doesn't exist. So that's why I've pretty much created what I've created so far. And we'll be creating more, of course, especially in the new year. It's all about creating. Be a creator, not a consumer. And if you are a consumer, consume something worthy of being created or worthy of creation in the first place. But sometimes just talking about all these things, thinking about the year, thinking about the solstice, thinking about the, the, the next year we have going on for 2023, hard to believe it's already that time in, in many ways, but it merely makes me feel like I'm honing in on, on something whilst I expose, you know, the different things out there and how they don't work and how there really needs to be this type of niche. People who understand what's going on and with the attack on the feminine and of course, understand, you know, Oyed AI is a hollow hoax, but also we're racial. Like, I feel that, like, if I was to say something like that, maybe in some of these private communities that I've kind of, you know, drifted through, I'd probably get thrown out, right? And that that really shouldn't be a thing. Like, most people, I'm sure, know by listening to the show and, and reading what I write on the channels, I'm not someone who's full of vitriol. I wouldn't be described as someone who would be like a quote racist or even an anti-Semite. I don't use those words to describe myself. I don't use the word sexist to describe myself. 
I don't use the word supremacist to describe myself. I'm just someone who, if I was alive 100 years ago or 200 years ago, I would be considered normal. That's it. That's pretty much it. What a radical thing to be in this time, time, right? To just be like normal from the sense of 100 years ago or 200 years ago. And how crazy how it's degraded so, so rapidly. Gosh, it's unfortunate to think about where we are now and how we can get ourselves out of this uh, this thing, right? This, this uh, I don't know what you'd call it, a rigmarole, perhaps, to, to use an old-fashioned word. So I think we'll take a wee break, and uh, then we'll come right back. I just got to cue up some songs. I'm using a different a different uh, speaker today, uh, so doing that differently. Just trying to get some better sound for the show. So I am your host, Tabitha, and you're listening to the Tabby Yoga on White Wellness Radio. We'll be right back after this song. Sorry for that little thing right there. Okay, we'll be right back, guys. back that was Knox Arcana the Rose of Winter back in 2009 and I'm your host Tabitha and you're listening to the Tabby Yuga on White Wellness Radio we're celebrating the winter solstice today on the broadcast so a little bit more as we uh 
venture a little bit further on this topic we're talking about before the broadcast, before the broadcast, before the break, the attack on the feminine, the attack on nature, how this all relates to the solstice. And Epiphany was mentioning a movie right here in the in the chat saying they made a movie in the TV in the 80s about that. And she's talking about what we talked about prior about the ectopods and all of that. She says there was a movie called Tomorrow's Child, 1982, an oldie. The wife of a research geneticist agrees to the experimental procedure of a test tube baby by having her fetus brought to full term in a glass jar in a laboratory. So, yeah, what they were, you know, talking about in the 80s has now become reality or it looks like it's becoming reality. I mean, when I posted that ectopod video or I saw it someplace, people were like, is this real? Or even someone asked me who I sent it to, is this real? And I think I said back, I'm like, well, it's real enough or the idea is out there. I mean, they're already doing a lot of really, really creepy stuff anyway in the world with um, all that type of stuff. But even with the stuff they do with the IVF and the surrogacy, and I'm not really, I'm not really a fan of, of that personally. Um, and of course, every, every child that comes into this world deserves to be here, no matter how they, they get here. Every, every life deserves to be here uh, you know, if, they, if they come to, to, you know, to be alive. But I just think there's something even extra eerie that it's apart from a woman's body. Because even with those things, with the in vitro and with the surrogacy, it's still inside the womb, the original home for all of us, right? So I think when you think about the ectopod, it's um, it's different because even babies who were test tube babies, the first test tube baby I think was born in 1979. She's still alive, a little older than me. Um, that was, of course, they don't grow in the test tube. They're fertilized in the tube, and then the embryo is is implanted into the uterus. It's it's different than actually it growing outside the body. So in a way, this ectopod thing is kind of an extension of what has already been done in medicine going back to 1979. And yeah, sometimes I agree with that too, Epiphany. If you can't bring a child into the world naturally, you weren't meant to. I think about that oftentimes too. Like I wonder about all these babies who were born via this way. And I do know some babies in, in real life who were born using the IVF and... Um, they're not as healthy, unfortunately. I mean, I think children in general, even ones who are born naturally, aren't as as healthy just in general. Um, and like I said, I'm not a I'm not a fan of it, but I wouldn't begrudge someone's life and say their life was was not worth living if they were brought in that way. But also, a lot of children who are brought in this way, once they get older, they kind of have this feeling where they have a loss a loss of belonging, maybe in a similar way to the way a child who's mixed race might feel like a lack of an anchor or a root. And I've heard children who are mixed race or adults now, as well as children who were born this way, talk about feeling like they don't really have an anchor or a root. Different, I think, in a way, if, let's say if a child was was adopted, that's a different, different situation, of course. Um, and also sometimes another thing that's interesting is that once a woman is able to, you know, let's say conceive via this way and have a baby, Oftentimes she still doesn't feel fertile because it really didn't happen the way it's supposed to happen. So there's a lot to this. And I know that some people um, who are pro-white are very into it and, and that's their own their own business. But the way I see it is that I'm I'm not for it. Um, I also don't like the interaction with with Big Z, of course, you know, and that's talk about 
really getting the full concierge, if you will, treatment from Big Z. It would definitely be via something like that. The entire pregnancy is going to be monitored and the whole birth is going to be monitored for the most part, typically. I mean, I did hear one story about a woman who decided to get um, IUI, like intrauterine insemination, just because she didn't want, she, she couldn't, she couldn't or didn't find a, a mate that she wanted to have a child with. And then she actually went on to have a free birth. But that's a, that's a pretty rare situation to start it off medically and then go for that. But um, it's a very hot topic and it's going to become a hotter topic as time goes on, especially because of transsexualism. That's really what I think these services are for. I mean, the most people who are using them now are probably hetero couples, but I think that long term, it's really for transsexuals, um, which is crazy. Speaking of transsexualism, I learned something the other day. Sometimes you tell yourself, you're like, oh, I've, I've learned everything. <laughs> I've, I've seen it all. But that clearly isn't the case. Um, so I saw something the other day. Of course, we always know they're adding on to this word LG, it used to just be LGBT. Of course, that's not good enough for me. I've got to call it LGBTP. But now they're calling it LGBT, LGB, gosh, LGBTQI plus. And I, I, see, it's, I can't like say theirs and then say mine because mine is LGBTQIAV plus. And the V originally stood for veganism, but maybe it stands for vaccine. Maybe it stands for both. I don't know. So now they have a new letter. Ooh, a new letter. E. Anyone want to guess in the chat what the E is for? What group of people are joining the LGBTP? Remember, L is lesbian, G is gay, B is bi, T is transsexual, Q is queer, whatever that means, I is intersex. Um, that's not a preference or a lifestyle. That's what we know from the olden days as a hermaphrodite, Hermes and Aphrodite, it's someone who has a disorder that's kind of like, you know, has this problem where their genitals form in a certain way. Typically those people are more male or more female. It's not a third sex. And the Skeksis system has been using those people who possibly even became that way in the first place because of the Skeksis using them or their parents in a different um, manner but that is not a sexual identity, being a hermaphrodite. That's a medical condition. Okay, so the E. No, it's, uh, you're right, Josh. It's eunuch. Yeah, it's eunuch. We had some guesses. We had everyone, eunuch, elephant, elf. Yeah, it's a eunuch. I'm serious. And for those who don't know, a eunuch is typically a male that has his testicles sometimes his uh, penis removed, uh, whether it's done chemically or surgically, the castration. This is mind-zoggling, but we can expect to see things like this whilst we're still surfing the Kali Yuga, right? And what's even more mind-zing on top of that, I mean, that's a, that's a very, very, very sick fetish. Um, not everyone who gets that done to them does it because they're a fetishist. Some people had that done because they're a fetishist. Some people are enslaved and it's done for them. I mean, it's, it's probably like the worst thing in the world or one of the worst things in the world. But to make it even more mind-seeing, the world's top transsexual medical association has collaborated with members on a fetish site 
of the fetish, you know, all types of crazy. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's men, by the way, unfortunately. A fetish site that hosts images of child abuse, sexual abuse, in order to draft their latest guidelines on transsexualism. So people, I don't know how anybody in any capacity, in any regard, anywhere, could support one facet of this agenda. And I feel the same way about all that BLM shit, and I feel the same way about OID AI. Like, it's a total no, right? And prominent members of this site, this fetish site, where they host these images of child sexual abuse, include university professors. Of course, we always know that all the heads of the Hydra, all, all the tentacles of Big Z, you know, academia, allopathy, they're all collaborating together, right? And they actually now, they're, I think I saw something or I did a show on this a, a while ago when I was um, exploring this topic of transsexualism, where they're actually getting some youngsters now who are so confused about their sex that they don't feel like they're stuck in the body of the opposite sex. They actually feel like they're neither, like they have like a, like what they call nullo. And then these some of these youngsters, like there was one youngster, a boy, I don't know how this even happens to someone in the, in the medical system, but then again, you think of stories of the medical system cutting off the wrong leg and you know just horrors, right? This is even a worse horror that I think this youngster actually had he was had his scrotum removed because he thought he was like a eunuch or they used the word nullo in a lot of these like uh, forums. But these medical associations, of course, we can not trust the medical community. I think I think we even before OID AI, I think we knew we couldn't trust the medical community. Now we really, really know. So people in the quote medical community are collaborating with these university professor perverts who are on a fetish site hosting child sexual abuse material in order to draft the latest gender identity guidelines so they can promote the idea of being a eunuch, probably more promoting it to boys than girls, I would think, because traditionally that word is used to describe a male. So this is how they're snaring young boys, right? They've been snaring young girls with, you know, the, the breast cutting off and the hysterectomy and just a lot of a lot of things already, right? But this is how they're going to snare um, young boys and men with this eunuch thing. And remember, if someone, this is when it gets very dangerous. Thinking about that pornography show I did a while ago called The Cum Culture. When someone is turned on by something that crosses their wires, even if it's something really disgusting or terrible like this, uh, if they're turned on by something, even if it's very harmful for them their mind is not gonna be thinking in a clear and rational way to understand the ramifications long-term, especially of what a surgery like this or a chemical procedure could do to somebody. But if anyone needs any more classification of why these LGBTP people are just a bunch of deranged perverts, they're adding the word eunuch to it, right? And also remember that, um, gosh, this is fucking ridiculous. They're actually trying to, promote the idea that a eunuch is the oldest recognized gender, gender guys, out of the binary. Okay, that's that's a hoax, obviously. A eunuch is something that happens to somebody, like I talked about earlier. And they also talk about how it's important for domestication. Okay, we're not really talking about humans in that context. I hope not. They're saying that the first documented documented production of it of these people these slaves was around 2100 bce <clears throat> pardon me um 
So saying that they soon found roles in government. So wouldn't that make sense that as people have moved to more of a domesticated culture, more of an agrarian culture, or away from more of a nomadic one, that they would castrate people as slaves then have them in roles in government? How different is that now? They had these people in government back in like the BC days. Don't they have trannies in government now? Isn't there like some really creepy dude that wears fishnets who's like in Biden's cabinet or something? Some some freak that like dresses up like a dog or something? They also talk about, quote, voluntary, whatever the fuck that means, voluntary eunuchs part of the Assyrian bureaucracy. Even members of the royal family had this done to them. Their route into bureaucracy or religious hierarchy or even military or district administrators. Look at the military nowadays. It's a hotbed for trannies, right? How many trannies are in the military? Tons, right? And something else that this eunuch stuff, of course, oh, we wonder, we wonder the origins of this, right? Oh my God. Well, it's frequently been seen in early Christianity as well as many patriarchal um, societies. Think about it. something like eunuch. All the shit that we're experiencing now, the crap with the race, you know, the idea that race is a social construct, the, the beatifying of these Negro criminals, the fact that a virus is wafting through the air, all this stuff about a man becoming a woman and a woman becoming a man, this could only, all the, all the transsexual stuff, all the fag stuff, this could only ever happen in a patriarchal society. It would never happen in the other type of society, right? And the more patriarchal the society gets, or you know, gynocentric to the retards on the right, right? I know it's it's a it's a zoggler that people could actually think we live in a gynocentric society. People like that are just like living in fear, right? The more gynocentric, I mean patriarchal the society gets, the more of these atrocities we're gonna see, the more racial friction, the more fabrication of germ warfare. Uh, more of this inversion of sex, more of this usurping of women's creative power, right? And it's all an attack on nature. It just, it boggles my mind that people, zoggle boggle my mind that people can't see this together. Like, where are the people who know Oyedei is a hollow hoax, race is real, and that this culture, this LGBTP stuff is the opposite of what we need. And it's it's just, it's the same as the Handmaiden's Tale. We think about these these uh, these dunces on, on Telegram. How do we even know that those people are actually real? Maybe like 70% of them are actually bots that are trying to convince us that this is a good idea, that women are just breeders or whores, right? And that this is the way it's supposed to be. And, you know, this is masculine and we're getting away from all the transsexual stuff and the queers. It's the same thing. It's the same thing in just a different costume. But yeah, if anyone ever is talking to you and tells you about anything that has to do with any one of these zao sludge transsexual buzzwords, just tell them that they've added another letter, E, and it stands for eunuch. That is disgusting. Disgusting. I mean, ugh. the things that they're selling kids. I mean, I remember like back, you know, when I was a youngster growing up, like what were the things that were like bad as a kid? Like it'd be like you got into someone's beer supply or you found someone's dirty magazine or like watched a violent movie. Like now they're literally promoting stuff to kids to get them to cut their crotch off. Like this, yeah, we live in a gynocentric society. Come on, come on. I mean, it's just... It's ridiculous. It's just, it's a, it's a zoggler of the highest degree. Josh says, what's the difference between that and a transsexual? 
Yeah, a transsexual is someone who um, changes their genitals to look like the opposite sex. A eunuch is someone who cuts them off. It's a big difference. And yes, Epiphany's right, castrati, used to do that to boys so they'd stay sopranos. Yes, it's actually been thought that some of the singers, like the famous singers like Celine Dion, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, some of these like big voice singers, that they're actually castrati. I don't know, but men have larger lungs. They have bigger lungs. When we're talking about the difference between sex, men have bigger lungs. And we're talking about the difference between races. The Negro race has more of a barrel chest than the Aryan race, and they have even bigger lungs than us. So a Negro male would have the biggest lung capacity to basically be a soprano. They never tell us any of this because oh, I forgot we're all the same, right? Everyone's the same. We all bleed red. <laughs> Josh is saying the head of the health department is a Jewish tranny. And yeah, there's some freak in the cabin that dresses like a dog. <laughs> like this is actually, um, this is actually, this is actually real. I mean, it's not real. Like in like the, the, it's not real in the way that like scratching your head and like looking, looking out in your backyard is real. Like it's not like real like that, but it's real to an extent that it's become like, I mean, could you imagine when you were like a kid growing up and your parents being like, oh yeah, there's someone in like, I don't know, like Reagan's cabinet that dresses like a dog. <laughs> I mean, you can't even, even in Bush's or Clinton's day or Obama or Bongo, you can't imagine this stuff. It's just, I, it's, it's, it's like, it's like speechless, you know, that this is actually happening. It's not even funny. I don't even know why I'm laughing. It's not, it's just, it's, it's so much to take in. It's almost like you need to laugh to relieve yourself. <laughs> well, Michelle is a clear man named Michael. Oh, yeah. I think that's the most obvious um, transsexual. Um, Michelle Obama or Michael Obama, whatever you want to call him. That's an obvious one. Um, yeah, it's just. But you know what? That seemed like a little more normal <laughs> than the guy dressing like a dog. I know it's hard to even like come to terms with like what's more normal. But gosh. So yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. Um, I all I see it all as a, a usurping of creative power, right? And Josh is saying too in the um, comments that he did a little video on patriarchy versus matriarchy and it pissed a lot of people off. Of course it would, right? And I am planning on doing a show at some point about that. I just haven't gotten around to it. been doing a lot of different stuff right now and haven't had as much free time lately, but Eventually, I will I will do something like that because I feel like a lot of people are very confused. And I was too, especially when I first heard those words. I was like, oh, I'm like, which one is which? And then we keep on seeing all these shirts that like Zog is putting out and the future is female. And like, well, what about that? Like, I don't want men to go anywhere. I like men or at least I like the ones that are good. Right. So it's like you see these two words and they're very charged words. And then you see all these like Oive, like radical femmes who were talking about, quote, smash the patriarchy, all these like leftist, like retards, the same people who are pro BLM and pro Oyid and pro LGBTP. And like, I, I don't have anything in common with those people. I have very little in common with people on the right because they're so misogynistic and they believe in a virus and they're just, they're just, they're fucking idiots. You know, it's like the typical meme of like the classic conservative person is just a fucking idiot, you know? It's just what it is. And the, the left is the same way. Like they're, they're are obviously idiots, but I mean, the right, they're, they're idiots too. I don't even get myself involved in that type of shit. It's just, it's, it's theater. So I'm not interested. Okay. Um, on to something a little more appetizing. I'm, I'm done talking about Unix, but I just, I just saw that and I thought, 
holy hell, like, what's the world coming to? You know, like, I mean, if anything, this is actually, the fact that they're adding that, this is actually, we could, we should see this as a silver lining because they're exposing themselves as perverts that want to mutilate youngsters. So it's it's obvious now that cat is out of the bag or the menorah is out of the bag, shall I say, right? Because we know who's behind this. And that's another thing that really, really grinds my gears, really, really pisses me off. I see... A lot of people doing good work out there. They're typically women. Some of them, unfortunately, are oyves. And I see them doing work out there, exposing what's going on with this TS agenda, even exposing the Oyedei PSYOP to an extent. They talk about it that men are behind autogynephilia and stuff like that. Yeah, sure, they are. They're also behind you know, a lot of the other stuff that has to do with children. But do they ever stop and think and mention that it's oyve men who are behind this? They talk about circumcision. They talk about misogyny in that context. They talk about the vitriol of that religion. We know it's not really a religion. No, they never do. And then if you write comments on their page, they'll delete you. So, I mean, there's a lot of people out there who, are they gatekeeping to keep their reputation going? Are they gatekeeping because they don't want to expose something like that because of what comes with it? I don't really know, but it's it's pretty darn annoying when there's a lot of other good information out there and then they just, they're totally just glossing over this thing that I think is a really important thing because when we think about the attack on the feminine and the creative powers and we think about this attack on the white race in, in general, and I'm not saying that to make us into victims. I don't think that we are a victim class. I don't, I don't want us to ever think that way about us. So nobody should be thinking about themselves as a victim. They want you to think you're a victim. They want you to be inculcated with videos of you know criminal negroes like beating on whites and talking about you know dwindling numbers though they want you to feel bad about this i don't consider us to be a victim class but i do consider that there is an attack going on um it seems to be kind of pointed at us first maybe they'll move on to north asians afterwards and so on and so forth and of course they're using black the black race and things like that what um george, george lincoln rockwell succinctly said that the blacks were the sledgehammer for the Skeksis. And he's 100% right with saying that. But we see all this attack going on with, with whites, right? All this anti-white propaganda, all this like CRT, this critical race theory sludge. And then we also see the attack on the feminine. So we really see this deep attack, I think, on both of those things. You know, women as a whole, whites as a whole, but it's white women, right? That's really where a lot of these things are honing in for the attack, right? Just look at what these autogynephiles do, especially these ones who are oives. It's the mimicry to look like white women, right? That's what's under attack. And it's it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition because this holiday, especially this day, is the day of like, you know, the crone energy, right? It's it's the most wizened feminine essence you can have. And we live in this world that's like trying to usurp all of that, separating reproduction and sex, separating the womb from reproduction. It's it's a mind zoggler, right? So that's why I bring it all back to woman who is basically the original original um, historical text in a lot of ways. And we'll get into that in another show. I have a lot of information, but I can only cover so much in such a small amount of time. So now I wanted to kind of venture a little bit further and talk about this Madonna whore complex and how and how this works. Um, this is interesting. This this blends it all together with, with this attack on the feminine. And then I want to talk about the crown chakra and how um, the things that we've been seeing in the world the last couple of years with Oyedei and LGBTP, how all of this is gaslighting. 
right? We're being gas lit. And of course, that's a, a reference from an old book that became an old movie back in the 40s with Ingrid Bergman called Gaslight. So let's talk a little bit about um, the Madonna horror complex and, and what this means and how this is still playing out in the world today and how this usurpment and this kind of um, pulling apart this uh, duality, if you will, of woman as mother and woman as sexual being. And in this society, they tell you, you can't be both, which is really a mind zoggler because how does one get pregnant in the first place? But being sexual, right? So when we take it all back to seeing what Big Z is doing with these ectopods, right, and IVF and surrogacy, you don't have to have sex or even have a womb to be able to engage in the feminine creative power, right? This is an entire usurpment of what's going on. And we're going to see a lot of crazy stuff. Whilst we're in this liminal time of the Tabi Yuga, this time of the journey, we're going to see a lot of really weird stuff that goes on, but we don't want to be diverted by it. We don't want to be emotionally upset by it, and we certainly don't want to fall for it. And I think we don't want to hang out with people who think it's real either. That would be, I just, like, I don't even know how I have conversations with people sometimes. Like, when someone's just talking to me about quarantining and, um, you know, testing and, and this and that, and I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to, like, you know make a little like video or make a little audio in the in the woods and you know post it online and hopefully like a hundred racialists will like it like that's what i'm gonna do like i'm not gonna worry about stuff it doesn't matter it doesn't exist i don't i don't care about things like that i care about things that do matter time is too important to get uh, caught up in diversions so here's a little bit about how this works this madonna whore complex so we have this complex out there that's alive and well. It's been alive for a while. I think that religion, especially things like Catholicism, definitely um, boosts this or reinforce it, shall I say. Um, I would say that this, you know, gynocentric or patriarchal society also promotes this idea. I would say that the Talmudic overculture promotes it. I don't know if it's really a thing in the Oive religion. They seem to have so much disdain for women anyway. They don't even really separate them into, um, you know, mothers or sexual beings. They just have disdain for them in general. So I don't really know how that, that works in their thing. But nevertheless, this whole Madonna whore thing is, is kind of a, a cultural miasma, if you will. And here is a little bit about it. Um, and this, this is a complex that men typically have, right? That they're ingrained to have. I mean, they, they could have even been raised in a family where their mother promoted this idea. Unfortunately, a lot of women are misogynists. I know it's hard to, to hear that sometimes. I've met them firsthand. There's, there's a lot of them. So a man who has the complex, and probably a lot of women have this complex too, you know, not just, not just men. So a man who has it, let's say for sake of it, a hetero man who has this complex, will sleep with and lust for sexual and beautiful women, but he will never respect this woman as a wife and he will never marry her. She's not, quote, wife material. In his eyes, she is tainted and impure, unworthy of the status of wife, yet he may possess passionate and contradictory feelings towards her. He may even be in love with her, but will never allow himself to be with her in any real sense. He's looking for the good girl to marry, usually a woman who possibly could be cold sexually, 
But for example, we'll be good at the wifely things, domestic things and cooking and cleaning and homemaking in general, a proper pure Madonna type woman who will bear his children. The seemingly conflicting desires that some, but not all, men have for a woman who is experienced in the bedroom and unashamed of showing sexual prowess, but at the same time, a woman who is wholesome, clean and nurturing, um, particularly enough not to be branded, quote, a slut. And these words are just kind of funny and interesting to me because we've done shows on this before in the past. Um, the word slut originally was a slovenly person, a male or a female who was like a fat slob. That's essentially what a slut is. It's also someone who can't cook. Back in the day, there was something in bread known as a slut's penny. It's when you bite into bread and you find that hard flour piece. So it's a slob that can't cook. How that meant to be a woman who is sexually promiscuous, I don't know. And the word whore kind of means the same thing as slut now. It's kind of an older fashioned word, but whore just means to be loved. That's all that means, but loved in like a sexual sense. This concept, the Madonna whore concept, um, is due to having a large population of sexually frustrated humans, both men and women, who are raised to believe that sexual activity or just being sexy is dirty and shameful. In a society where both men and women have been led to believe that women have to be either complete prudes or totally promiscuous. And we still have this in society, even with all the, quote, progressiveness of, quote, feminism, which most of that really didn't help us, if anything, right? Didn't help male, males, didn't help females, didn't help us get along together as people, didn't help us as a race. Nope, it didn't do anything but besides create animosity and then have these offshoots like MGTOW and now that feminism stuff is so degraded that men are allowed in those circles and we only really need something like feminism in a patriarchal culture otherwise we wouldn't need it right we wouldn't we we only need it because it's like an adjunct to living in this this uh, disgusting society so that's a little bit about this um this type of thing right and uh, I believe it's a Freudian um, psychoanalysis. So of course, we know Freud was an oivey. So it's a psychological complex, the Madonna whore complex. It's a psychological complex in the Freudian psychoanalysis that develops in the human male. According to Freud, this is the belief that, that Freud has. Who knows? I mean, a lot of these um, oivey psychologists, their beliefs are based on their own insanity and misogyny and abuse and the circumcision and remember what that procedure is is terrible but it's especially terrible when it's done on the puberty cycles like the um oives and the pislamics do it they do it deliberately on those cycles whether it be the eighth day or age 13 because they want to cause more damage to the hypothalamus and the amygdala the amygdala is a part of the brain that deals with emotions so that part gets messed up by circumcision, especially if it's done during one of the puberty cycles. So according to Freud, who was probably circumcised, this complex often develops when the sufferer is raised by a cold and distant mother. Such a man will often court women with qualities of his mother, hoping to fulfill the need for intimacy and unmet that was unmet in the childhood years. Often the wife begins to be seen as a mother to the husband, the Madonna figure, and thus not possible of sexual attraction. For this reason, the mind, the sufferer, the sufferer, love and sex cannot be mixed, and the man is reluctant to have sexual relations with his wife. For that, he thinks unconsciously, it would be incest. He'll reserve sexuality for the bad, the dirty, and the naughty women, and will develop normal feelings of love in these 
uh, quote, normal feelings of love in these sexual relationships. Popularly, the term is used to describe an unsatisfiable desire by a man to have his wife or other female partner because they were both these mutually exclusive traits. I mean, and what man wouldn't want a woman who was someone he could sexually explore things with, who was also a good a good person and a, and a good mother and a good partner? Like, isn't isn't that what it's all about? I mean, if you have that going on in your life, I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. But I guess we're told in society that you can't be both, right? You can't be both. That's what we're always told. This introduces a dilemma where men may feel unable to love any woman that can satisfy them sexually and are unable to be sexually satisfied by any woman that they can love. And this makes me think of that Sopranos show. I think I watched that like years ago. And I think I remember on the show, like that Tony Soprano character was always cheating on his wife and he was doing stuff that he like, he didn't want his wife to give him like a blowjob or fellatio. So he was seeing these other women and getting that from these women or having more like, I don't know, naughty, naughty sex, whatever the hell that even means. I don't even know what that, what people even think that means or why they even need that to mean something in the first place. If they need it to mean those things, chances are it's really lacking connection in the first place. But that's just an example. And it's a very good example because it's an example of a, a family that's Italian, which typically is very patriarchal, very Catholic, very misogynistic. If you look at kind of the south of Europe, they have more of these kind of um, misogynistic miasmas that kind of like infiltrate the culture, almost kind of like an Oive society does. It's unfortunate. I say this as someone who's Sicilian, so I'm not picking anyone apart, but that's that's the example like it's it's out there like you you do this with other women but th this is what you do with your wife like that's so gross like ugh. like i don't know that's that's gross the eunuch thing is definitely grosser but this is gross too so yeah this is um something that's still i think this madonna horror complex is actually probably even booming in a way that many of us who are not on the dating applications i'm not on any of that type of stuff obviously i'm sure most of you listening probably aren't either but it even gives more of a meaning to it in that context because men are probably really seeing women on that site as like, you know, swipe right. Like, oh, here's, here's someone who I can, you know, release in or, you know, on whatever tonight, right? As opposed to like looking for, for a mate. So I think all this like, quote, hookup culture, I call it the pump and dump culture because that's really what it is. No one's, quote, hooking up. I don't even know what that means anymore. I never even did know what it means. Or meant but this whole dating culture i think is fueling this madonna whore complex fueling the use of people the commodification of people and isn't it interesting how we have this tinder culture where people's holes are just used for release and then we have this thing on the other and that's like the sex aspect and then we have the birth of the motherhood aspect in regards to the ectopods and we have these pods coming out where you don't have to have sex or even have a womb or be able to reproduce and it can all be done in a pod. So there's, there is a juxtaposition right there of the Madonna whore complex, the ectopod versus Tinder, right? You don't even need a real person anymore. You can do the ectopod and maybe get like a real sex doll, right? So you can just grow a child in the ectopod. And then if you want to have, you know, naughty or, or dirty sex, you can just get one of these real sex dolls, right? That's the direction things are going and for some people right who want to live in that world that's not a world that i ever want to live in um 
creepy that it even exists. It's almost like the world they're creating is like the dark web in a lot of ways, right? It's like this really weird, like murky, icky place that no one wants anything to do with. It's, um, ugh, it's really gross. But all of this really just factors in the Madonna horror complex, the LGBTP stuff. It all factors into an attack on the feminine, an attack on creative powers, right? And even thinking about the idea of frequencies, thinking about, you know, non-native EMF, thinking about maybe even other frequencies that maybe we're not even aware exist and how this also relates to a woman's intuition and creative powers, right? And how essence is being managed, right? That's something else that Molly had said to me, that how essence is being managed, like this ectopod thing, the management of essence, the management of creative power, which you could even say in a certain light, IVF and surrogacy do something like that. And it's, it's ex this extreme thing where it's, even before birth, you could even think of all the stuff that happens in the Zogspital, like all the all the, the checkups that they want you to have, especially if you're, quote, high risk and how they tell you you have all these things wrong with you. It's very much like possession. Can we even believe what they tell us? I mean, think about something in even a more basic or benign sense. Someone is told that based on an X-ray, they have a, quote, cavity, right? A tooth carry, like decay in the tooth, Right. And then they go and they get all this work done and they get, you know, fucked over and everything. And it wasn't even a cavity. It was just a dentist who couldn't read the x-ray and it was a dark spot on the x-ray, right? Or what about a woman who's told she has a fibroid and then it was just a water spot on the ultrasound? So all of this masculine confirmation, these diagnostics that so many of us rely on, what if we're just told these things and then like we get possessed by what the belief is it's not even real right talk about getting possessed like on a on more of a a basic way when dr z will say to someone you have x amount of time to be living that's a possession right there but then then they have the proof they've got the masculine confirmation they've got the x-ray and then they can tell you that this dark spot is a cavity this water spot is a fibroid how do they fucking know they don't know anything they know nothing, right? If they, if they knew anything, they wouldn't be promoting eunuchs and ectopods. I can assure you of that. And all of this stuff that's going on right now, um, the ectopods, the IVF, the surrogacy, this entire, they're trying to manage the entire life process, the entire life process, no matter how far back they can take that, because that's what a patriarchal society aims to do. They want to control reproduction they want to control life right they want to, everyone living in a place of scarcity not abundance a lot of people are still living in scarcity i know many boomers who were youngsters after the war who were still living in scarcity so there's a lot there's a lot of that out there still happening and of course their main goal is to cut off um sex from reproduction and to cut off um the the, the um the thing between women's sexuality and birth. I mean, women are the, we're the last frontier to nature. Think about the way our cycle works. Think about how we're more intuitive, right? Think about that. Like we're the last frontier to nature. So obviously we're under attack, especially white women, right? And we oftentimes see in a lot of the circles out there, it's always about the attack on the masculine. Yeah, that's definitely happening. I'm not denying any of it. I've done whole shows on it before. And of course I, 
I support exposing that attack. I don't want anything to happen to, to our men, right? I mean, I, I work diligently to promote information on the channel that will reflect information that will be helpful for both of the sexes. But if women are really the ones who are attached to nature, and this is really a war on Terra, T-E-R-R-A, not terror, it really comes back to that, right? It's really about usurping the female energy system and the female suppression agendas, right? All of these agendas, like the, the LGBTP agenda, that's an agenda to basically suppress women, to get rid of our creative power, to make us look like we're TERFs or bigots, and make it so men can basically like have wombs, well, they'll never really have them, but they can pretend to like be some type of like womb mutant, and then they can go around and they can beat the shit out of women who are supposedly terps and bigots. Like it's all of this stuff out there. It's like when we finally peel off the layers and we're able to see what's happening with this anti-white agenda and we're always sold this lie of, you know, blacks being these warm and fuzzy, cuddly people. And, you know, all the stuff we see online is just, you know, they were they were wronged and we wronged them. It's kind of the thing that's happening with the sexes too. And I'm just wondering where is that small little group of people, hopefully it grows into the millions that can understand the attack on us in a sex way, especially what's happening to women and also understand it from a racial perspective. Oh, and also know that germ theory is a hollow hoax. Those are the people I'm looking to attract in the next year, in the next calendar. Year. I know some of you already believe that who are listening to this, but those are the kind of humans that I'm looking to attract as time goes on. I don't want to deal with people who don't understand the full picture anymore because we're moving into this territory where we really need to be on our A game, right? This 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 time of the journey really is a time of responsibility. Something that a lot of people don't want to take is responsibility, right? It's important. Oftentimes it's easier just to blame everybody or everything. Like people who want to blame the Skeksis for every problem in the world are they a big problem? Do they continue to be? Certainly, but there has to be a time when we take responsibility for what we're doing, right? To basically take um, charge of our life. We don't want to be passive. They want us to be passive and they want us to be distracted. That's one of their main goals. It works. It works well. People are falling for it all the time. So Epiphany is saying, um, didn't that happen with Elvis and Priscilla? I don't know about... Um, I'm not sure what that was in context, too. I was born 100 years too late, too. Yeah, me too. Probably should have been born like 200 years ago. I don't know. Like, if I had been born 100, 200 years ago, I could have gotten, like, a lot of my, like, writing and work like that, like, published in actual journals and books and things like that. Yeah, it's um, it's a wild time to be alive. But then I think the fact that I'm here right now, being alive and, and still still fairly fairly young, this is a good time to be alive too because it's the time when the movers and the shakers and the pioneers come out of the woodwork, right? And they're the ones that kind of set the scene. Maybe this information a hundred years ago will be looked at and they'll be like, whoa, some people actually really had a grasp of what was going on back in those wacky times back in the 2020s, you know? So maybe maybe being alive now isn't, isn't like a, a sorrowful thing. Maybe it's exactly where we want to be. That's what I think about sometimes. So, yeah. Oh, the Madonna whore thing with Elvis and Priscilla. Um, maybe. Yeah, it could be that. I mean, I guess a lot of Hollywood marriages probably kind of have that um, going on. Yeah, it could be. It could be that for sure. 
Uh, what else did I want to say about this Madonna horror complex? Oh, yeah, here's an interesting thing to think about. The sounds of lovemaking and birth are actually very similar, right? So, of course, they've created this dichotomy, this duality with this Madonna horror complex because they want to keep these two things separated. Because what if a woman was sexually empowered, but also empowered during, you know, birth, pregnancy, and motherhood. Like, that's that's someone who's essentially, quote, dangerous to the system, right? And one of the ways that this culture and society usurps women's power is, is via the birth processes, um, via the stuff that happens during pregnancy as well and postpartum, as well as all the stuff that happens in the, the gyno office. You know, the idea of, you know, needing that exam once a year or twice a year if you're on birth control, right? They have to, like look at your cervix and give you some information about it. Oftentimes the information they give you is, is a hoax or it's, it's filled with, it's filled with lies. It's filled with fear, or they have to tell you that something has to be removed. I mean, when you think about the whole idea of what they've been doing to women for a long, long time with the removal of, of their reproductive parts, that was kind of priming us for the transsexual agenda. At least that's kind of how I, I see it. Right. And also I think a lot of the plastic surgery of the last oh, I don't know, 20 or 30 years has primed us for the transsexual, transhumanist type of thing. I mean, now we're all like weirded out by the idea of like transsexuals. Maybe in the future, like there's going to be surgery for someone who they want to make their face look like a wolf, you know, and that may be even weirder than the guy that wants to look like a woman, you know, where there's like this guy out here that has like, you know, he has hair transplants look like a wolf or like wolf, prosthetic wolf teeth or something, you know, I mean, there's a lot of um, unwell, disassociated people out there. So any, anything's possible. Something else to think about um, is that this Madonna horse split and just the demonization, or I like to use the word villain because demon in the real sense is really just the gods of the Gentiles, but demon from the Christian sense is like, you know, different. So I'll say villainization. The Madonna horse split and the villainization of female sexuality that was planted in the Western culture or the Talmudic culture, because this, this extends, I think, we see this a lot in Pislam, a lot of this is in Pislam, has severed us from one of our most potent sources of energy. Of course, that's why it's been done. They want to sever us from our energy, the same way that they sever whites as a whole from their culture and their energy. They're doing the same thing to women based on this Madonna horror split. They sever your energy so you never know you have a culture. That's kind of how they work, right? And then they usurp and they steal everything that's that's ours, like we were talking about earlier in the show, talking about the Anahata and how that became the Star of David and how that just really means unstuck. So they either steal things from us or they usurp it or they use it against us like the swastika, right? That's the game. As soon as we know the game or the recipe of things, then we can really just go about it a lot easier because we know the recipe, right? All right, so that's all I wanted to say about the attack on the feminine and the Madonna horror complex. And now, just to kind of round out the show, I want to talk a little bit about the crown chakra because prior to this show, I had done a series of shows going back to earlier in the season, the summer and the autumn. I was doing a chakra series of shows where we discussed one chakra per uh, show. And I had left off a while ago talking about, um, oh gosh, I think we're going back to, let's see. Um, I don't even know when I started these things, but hmm, 
whatever. It was one of these shows a while ago that I was I was talking about all of the all of the chakras. We did the root, we did the sacral, the solar, the heart, the throat, and the third eye. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about the crown chakra and how that relates to everything, especially with what we're we're seeing in the world today with all the gaslighting, you know, and with via Oyid and LGBTP and like the racial stuff. That's like total gaslighting, like 100%. So here's a little bit about the chakra. It's the seventh chakra. And I'm reading from a book that I used the last time. It's called Eastern Body, Western Mind, Psychology and the Chakra System as a Path to Self by Anodea Judith. This is a great book. It's especially a great book for people who were raised with more of a Western way of thinking. It's a very um, easy to digest book for people who maybe don't have like the Eastern perspective, which the Eastern perspective is really the Aryan perspective and the Western perspective is the Talmudic perspective. So unfortunately, the majority of us were, were inculcated and raised in this Talmudic way of thinking. It wasn't our fault or our parents' fault. It's, it's just what happened based on what happened. But as we go on in this time, during the Tabi Yuga, this time of travel and journey and voyage, we're shedding the skin of Western and Talmudic thought, and we're coming back to the homeostasis of Eastern and Aryan thought. And we're doing that one way, by exploring the chakra system. This is a seven chakra system. There's a couple of other ones. The seven, the seven, one that has seven tends to be the one that's standard. So the Sanskrit name of this chakra is the Saha, Saha, this is a hard word for even me, Saha, wow, Sahasrara. It's S-A-H-A-S-R-A-R-A-A. Sarasraha, the thousandfold. So the elements associated with it is thought. The color, of course, is violet. And when all the chakras light up together like the Roji Biv, that's the color of white light, which is interesting because you think of that um, transsexual flag which of course they leave out the indigo. It's only six stripes. It's not seven indigo, of course, being the third eye. Very interesting that they would leave out the third eye. But when we have all the chakras blend together, we get the color white, like the white aura outside of us. Like once our Kundalini rises and all the chakras kind of harmonize. So it's rather ironic that that flag is associated with, you know, non-whites, transsexuals, you know, germs, like like all this crap when really it's represented by by white and white light, but in the context of the modern society, it's like anybody who's not as they use this word quote heteronormative fits into this ra rainbow gang. When the rainbow as we know is the bifrost bridge, it's essentially the anahata chakra, it's the unstuck, it's it's the highway from me to we. Very different connotation in the modern Zaoslaj society. The location of the seventh chakra is a cerebral cortex. The purpose is understanding. The identity is universal. What are some issues associated with the seventh chakra? Transcendence. Immanence. What the hell does that mean? I'm stumped on a word. That's a rarity for me. Let's uh, look at what this means. Something coming up. Eminence. Okay. Um, eminence. Something that holds divine. Um, div divine. So it's um, something that holds um, a divine like belief or like a divine. So d divinity. 
Belief systems are also associated with the seventh chakra. Higher power, divinity, union, vision. The orientation is self-knowledge. The, quote, demon is attachment. The developmental stage of this chakra is early adulthood and after. The developmental task of this chakra is assimilation of knowledge and development of wisdom. And we have the dude Sean joining us. Greetings. Hello. The basic rights is the right to know and to learn. Balance characteristics, ability to perceive, analyze, and assimilate information. Well, we could say a lot of people these days who have fallen for the racial psyop, the Oyed psyop, the tranny psyop, are not able to perceive, analyze, or assimilate information. Intelligent, thoughtful, and aware. Also, people who believe those things can't be intelligent, thoughtful, or aware open-minded, able to question, has a sense of spiritual connection, wisdom and mastery, broad understanding. So those are all the balanced characteristics. And I think in a day and age like we have nowadays with all the propaganda just swarming around like a hive of, of you know hornets, it's really quite a challenge to stay, to stay clean, to stay spiritually clean. It's very much a challenge. Traumas and abuses that can affect the seventh chakra withheld information. Gosh, we're seeing that in this world, right? Education, which thwarts curiosity, forced religiosity. We see that a lot with Oyed AI, the transsexual thing, the whole race thing, you know, bow down and, um, you know, to the virus, bow down to these, um, these, these weirdo, these, these freaks who don't even know what's between their legs, bow down to the friendly Negro, forced religiosity. Invalidation of one's beliefs. We see this all the time with the three things I just mentioned. Blind obedience. Oh my God, right? <laughs> no right to question or think for oneself. Again, all the time. Misinformations and lies. Uh, yeah, holy hell. Spiritual abuse. Yeah, I think all of that is spiritual abuse. I think when we see those footages of those white people in the shackles, you know, like repenting for privilege or whatever, that is absolute spiritual abuse. And let's say those people were actors and it was all fake for example, it's probably not, but let's say it is. The fact that it's still out there and we're seeing it is spiritually abusive to us. What are some things that would manifest as a deficiency of the seventh chakra? Spiritual cynicism, learning difficulties, rigid belief systems, apathy, excess in the lower chakras, materialism, greed, domination of others. We see all that all the time, right? What are some excesses of the seventh chakra? Over-intellectualization, spiritual addiction, confusion, and disassociation from the body. I think we see a lot of that, not just with the TS agenda, but also with some of these spiritual New Agers who just totally disassociate from the body. Maybe it's because of what they believe. Maybe it's because of what they're eating. Some physical malfunctions that may manifest as a result of the seventh chakra. Coma, migraines, brain tumors, amnesia, cognitive delusions. And what are some healing practices we can utilize for the crown chakra? Reestablish physical and emotional connection. That's a big one, I think, especially in this world, especially in a post-Oyid world. It's, it's hard to find people who you really feel that you jive with. You know, It's hard enough online. It's probably even harder offline. Reestablish spirit connections. Program of learning and study. Spiritual discipline. That can look differently for everybody, what they like. Like for me... A good spiritual discipline 
habit for me is doing a little bit of Kundalini in the morning time. Like that's what works for me. Also something I like to do is go outside with a cup of herbal tea right around the time when the sun is uh, fixing to rise. I go outside and I just kind of like look at the sun and look at everything else and just be thankful for being alive. So th these types of things don't cost a lot of money. It's just we have to have the motivation or the effort to do it. And I know sometimes there's days when you just don't want to do it and that happens. But if you have a few of those days in a row, then you, you lose traction, unfortunately. Meditation is a great healing practice. Uh, this book is saying psychotherapy. I would be a little leery of that um, just because there could be a lot of people in that field who are predatory. I mean, there are people who are genuinely uh, a good you know, ear to tell things to, but historically when we used to need an ear to be told things to, we told friends and family and the village kind of cured or helped us. We didn't tell some random skexis our problems and then our insurance paid for half of it. And that's kind of you know the, the way that things are these days. But I know and sometimes it can be therapeutic. And of course, I'm just talking about talk. I'm not talking about taking any of Dr. Z's pills. Just these days, I would be careful who I told who was a professional if I was feeling melancholy, just because it could be used against you. You never know. I mean, I, last couple of times I was at Dr. Z's was a while ago, but um, they were handing out this form, like asking people like if they were depressed and how depressed they were and how depressed they'd been for and I'm leery of things like that. Oh, and they also gave a form about like, you know, are you really a man or a woman? This was the gyno too. So that was rich. So here are some things also. Healing practices, examining your belief systems. I think it's a big thing that sometimes we just blindly fall into this belief that, you know, we want to believe that believing this is the best thing for our race. And it's not. There's a lot of clubs that are on, you know, Talmud Graham and other parts of anti-social media. And these are just toxic places. I wouldn't advise um, most people getting their ideologies from those places. I think there are a lot of people who are very impressionable who are trying to get information out of there. And it's, it's really not a good thing. And remember, it's not about ideology. It's about coming back to nature. So we don't want to believe beliefs. We want to believe what's true. Developing inner witness, developing a relationship with yourself. That's a really good thing. And maybe when you're feeling crummy, you tell yourself like, okay, I'm feeling crummy. Let me just feel that I feel crummy. Why do I feel crummy? What can I do to kind of fix this as opposed to like reaching for whatever I reach for because I don't want to deal with this feeling. So having that awareness is part of like the crown chakra thing. Setting goals. That's a great thing, especially now with the new year. And like I said, it doesn't have to be something that's like very traditional, like, you know, lacing up your sneakers to go to the gym. That's, that's gym dandy. If you want to do that too, that's rad. But Setting some goals for the new year, maybe it could be something like um, refining your diet, getting in more movement, engaging in meditation, uh, not succumbing to the distractions, not getting emotionally charged by the information that you see out there that may or may not be true. It doesn't really matter if it's true. It matters how it affects you more than if it's true or not. And here are some affirmations. Divinity resides within. I am open to new ideas. Information I need comes to me. The world is my teacher. I am guided by a higher power and I am guided by inner wisdom. So I really think about the crown chakra as being able to see clearly, right? See things clearly, be open-minded, not too open-minded that you'll believe anything. And um, I think what's happening nowadays in the world with all of these sludge belief systems, that's really taking us away from the crown chakra. I mean, they would really like all of us to have, you know, a calcified pineal gland, which 
you know, that's a big part of it. I mean, sometimes you hear these kind of like these new age type of circles talking about calcified pineal glands. And yeah, I think that's, I think that's a big part of it. But I also think the pituitary gland plays a role in this as well. We don't really hear about that one too much. It's always the pineal gland and, oh, that was calcified or, you know, fluoride. And that's kind of like basic 101 type of stuff anyway. But the pituitary gland is interesting because in the kundalini system they refer to it as the master gland and typically in like the metabolic health system like the repeat style work they consider the thyroid to be the master gland but in kundalini yoga the master gland is the pituitary which is said to control the thyroid the parathyroid the adrenals the pancreas and the reproductive glands would be the testes or the ovaries if you're a man or a woman and the pituitary is actually associated with the ajna chakra which is the third eye chakra and the pineal gland is associated with the crown chakra that we just talked about. So when the pituitary is weak, that would mean that a person will feel lonely and disconnected from the world. So if a person already has this weak pituitary gland and they feel lonely and disconnected, I know a lot of us probably have gone through iterations of feeling that way, especially in the last couple of years. It's, it's been a bit of a bummer seeing people who you thought were, were better or knew better or something better succumb to some of the sludge out there, right? So if our pituitary is weak, that would mean that our Ajna chakra or the sixth, sixth chakra, or the third eye is weak. How are we ever going to get to the point where we can keep this like crown chakra in like a good sense, good sense, a good state, right? The pituitary also creates the bonding feelings during sex. That would be the release of oxytocin. So there's a lot going on with this part of the brain. It's also said that when the crown chakra opens, it's like a thousand petaled lotus and it almost looks like horns, like a goat's horns. And I think of all the kind of connotations of, of goats with our, our lineage of being this like this animal that's like, you know, just a go-getter and goes after things and eats whatever it wants. And it's very different than the idea of like a sheep that's like slow moving, believes whatever Zog says, you know, and then you think about what are you eating? Are you eating sheep or cow or are you eating goat? Kind of a side note there, but anyway. So there's a lot to be said for the crown chakra, but also thinking below it and thinking about the pituitary gland and thinking about um, when people aren't fully mature, that typically they're not grown up in the spiritual sense that there, this is very important, that who they show themselves to be in the world is not really who they are. So you'll never really get to that point of the crown chakra, like the liberation of like being your own person, not being swayed by all the, the sludge and the lies and the religiosity and all of that. If you're not aligned inside, right? And I think I've seen this with, with many people where their inner being isn't aligned with the part they show the world. So it's like who you show the world is not who you truly are. And that's because of a, a lack of trust and intuition. So this issue has to be remedied first in the pituitary before we can even get to that pineal area of, of the crown chakra. And when we don't have this alignment of who we are inside manifesting to the world outside, it's hard to connect with other humans, right? And that's really, I think, what we all crave at the end of the day to connect with like-minded humans, not mentally ill people and all the crazy stuff that happens out there. But Connecting with ourselves is really what it's about first. I think that's really part of the takeaway of this broadcast is, is a connection with oneself. 
So it's often been said that you don't have to necessarily open your heart to other people. You can, and you cannot. You can wear your heart in your sleeve and, you know, kind of get um, bamboozled many times. But the most important person to open your heart to is yourself. So we're talking about the Anahata in the beginning of the show. We're talking about this, this liminal time of journey from me to we. That's what we really want to do. If we open our heart to ourselves, that's the real unstuck, right? That's the scariest thing in the world oftentimes is having that intimacy with our selves that we're living from the Anahata. I think that's the goal, the goal of the Tabi Yuga, the goal of this liminal time between the Kali and the Satcha is to become unstuck and open our heart to ourselves, right? What a what a great gift, right? What a great Yule gift we can all give ourselves, opening our heart to ourselves. And, you know, there's many ways to probably asking, well, hell, how do I do that? I don't know, listen to this show, meditate, uh, eat good food, uh, converse with, with good humans, you know? That's what, I, that's what I would say. When people aren't open to this, oftentimes they, they sway from either being very cruel and critical to passive aggressive to suffering from like the helper syndrome of like helping people who don't want it. I've, I've been there before. I know all about that. But we really have to hone in on, on what works for us. And um, opening to ourselves, I think, is, is the beginning of this. It's an invitation to that. Yeah, I think that's what I have to say on that. And something else I've been thinking about is that the past is a present to us, right? So we think about the past. We think about the things that went well, things that went bad. And it's a present to us. Now it's time to root into the blood. It's not time to dwell on the past or to live in this, uh, the what if of what's going to happen, what's going to happen when they're cyborgs, you know, what's going to happen, I don't know, whatever people, people think. And I wouldn't even concern myself with that. I actually think a lot of that AI stuff is actually just kosher theater. I think it's just a diversion. So we don't root into the blood. And that's what it's about, right? They want to take us away, not only from our relationships with other people, they want to take us away from opening our heart to ourselves and rooting into our blood. So I think I'll leave it at that for this week's broadcast, this special solstice broadcast on the 21, 21st day of, uh, of December. So I think I've reached the two-hour mark right there. You have just finished listening to the Tabby Yuga on White Wellness Radio. Oh, thank you, Epiphany. I'm glad it was a wonderful show for you. It's, uh, it's good to be back, to be honest. I like being back. I've been behind the mic in like a live way in like almost two months had a little bit of a rocky start setting it up. I uh, couldn't get one of my speakers to work, but nevertheless, I got it all taken care of. Now I'm hungry. I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to munch this uh, this soup that I made a couple of days ago. And uh, I was snacking on some liver and something else before the show, but now I'm hungry. So yeah, thank you everyone for joining me. Thank you for your listening live. If you're listening in the archives, always great to have you here, whether you've been here for a while or if you're new here. Wishing everyone an amazing solstice, uh, a great day to be alive, something good, have a bonfire, eat something good, hug somebody, and don't forget to open your heart. Okay, everyone, Satnam.